Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Amos chapter 5. We have a lot of verses to go through, so we'll go ahead and start. Verse 1. Hear the word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord God to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel, do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Jacob, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning, and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Who makes destruction flash forth against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress? They'd hate him who reproves in the gate, and they arbor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built Houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good, and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, In all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas! They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing, those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Now I know that there's a lot of verses <laughs> that we're going over, and I promise that this is not actually a very too long of a sermon. Um, but the reason why I decided to keep it all together instead of breaking it up is because it actually all flows together. So... Let's see what it is that Amos wants us to hear. Um, Verse 1. Hear the word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. Chapter 5. Actually, first, let's go over that. Matt, we're talking still about Israel, and last week you may remember that we talked about Gilgal and Bethel, and they're brought up again. Um, And also Beersheba down here is brought up this week as well, and we'll see why that is, but that's where you get the idea. You notice it's in Judah, not in Israel, that that, uh, Beersheba is, and that's something to consider. But yeah, let's go ahead and continue on then with what Amos is preaching and proclaiming. So chapter 5 begins with a lamentation 
for Israel. A lamentation is a way of mourning. And some scholars note that this particular lamentation is in the style of a song, which would not be altogether uncommon during the time period. Likewise, we are unsure of who is exactly lamenting, whether it is Amos or God, or just as likely both, since Amos is a prophet of God. We notice that the lament shows Israel already fallen not to rise. Israel is seen to have fallen with a mortal wound. The nation was cut down in its prime, as Amos says, virgin Israel. Thus the nation was not able to fulfill its potential, instead being cut off in their own land, likely by some enemy, with none who are able to help Israel get back up. In this sense... It is sorrowful, for it implies God, the one who could help Israel get up, has abandoned her. And at this point in the lamentation, God informs those who go out shall be destroyed. This language of a city sending out a thousand only to have a hundred left and a hundred to have ten is reminiscent of an army being decimated. As such, Israel's military forces will be destroyed by a coming enemy. Now verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall become nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. For the first time in Amos, we receive an encouraging statement. For the Lord tells the people to seek me and live. In other words, if they are to turn in repentance away from the things that they have been following and turn toward God in faith, then they shall find salvation. It is a wonder, though, who Amos is speaking to. Is he speaking to all the people or to a remnant? As such, most scholars are divided on the issue. Though in context, it seems likely he's talking to those who would be faithful. Since as we saw previously, it appears that there is no hope for Israel as a whole at the coming judgment. That said, the way to seek God is to not go to Bethel or Gilgal or Beersheba. These were all locations which had significance in Israelite history. Because of this, they became cultic sites. Bethel had a deep history with the patriarchs, especially Jacob and became the place the Israelites, the northern kingdom, um, temple worship took place. Gilgal was the first encampment during the conquest with Joshua. And Beersheba was associated with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and because of that was a popular pilgrimage location. Yet the promise for Bethel and Gilgal is destruction. Beersheba is not mentioned since it was in the south, as I showed you earlier. It was way down in Judah but eventually would come under judgment later on. Still, the command is again stated, Seek the Lord and live. If they do not do this, he will come himself as fire, not only on the cultic sites, but on the whole house of Jacob, Joseph itself, which is specifically the northern kingdom. God himself coming as a flame, would be unquenchable by any means. As such, before such judgment happens, they are encouraged to seek God, not these false sanctuaries. 
Thus, even from the remnant, there is a continued warning to seek God. Now, verse 7. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they arbor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you will not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. To the above lamentation, there was a call for action, and that action was to seek God. Now we return to the reality of the people themselves. They turn justice into wormwood, which is to say they make justice bitter, because it is not justice at all. They have cast down all righteousness through their continued injustice in social, political, and religious lifestyles and fallacies. But then in verse 8, Amos recites a hymn. It praises God for his sovereignty over the universe. The Pleiades and the Orion are constellations. He set them into place. He is in control of the morning and the night, as well as the waters of the earth. God is sovereign over all of these things. Yet it is not any God, but the Lord, Yahweh, who is the one who is sovereign, the covenant God of Israel and Judah. Yet God's sovereignty is not only in nature, but further on peoples. As such, he can bring destruction on the people for their unfaithfulness to him and their failure to remain obedient to the law. Thus God's destruction can come against They're strong and they're fortresses. Amos then shifts focus from the hymn of God to the people. He brings up their failure in social justice, specifying that they hate him who reproves at the gate. The gate of the city was where court proceedings occurred. Thus, the one who reproves is the one who calls out the truth, and the people hate him for doing so. Because of their social injustice against the poor, treating the poor unfairly, and taxing them unjustly, they will receive punishment. Those who have been getting wealthy off the poor, building stone houses and planting vineyards, will find that the fruit of their own labor is taken from them and given to others. They will not dwell in their stone houses, and they will not drink the wine from their vines. God is not unaware of their own sinfulness. He is fully aware of their transgressions and sins. They include and are not limited to the affliction of the righteous, which we saw previously with the Nazarites and the prophets. They take bribes in court in order to either get their way or for someone else to get their way. And instead of taking care of those in need, they ignore them. Much of the discussion is focused on the judicial corruption. As we notice, the needy are those specifically, again, at the gate. 
Thus, they are allowing injustice to occur by taking bribes from the rich and ignoring those who are wronged. Thus, God will strike against them for their injustice, and those who see the horror will be silenced by the devastation which God will bring forth. For the time is evil as such. The destruction will be great, and the wicked will receive God's justice as by fire. Seek God and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love God, good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious on the remnant of Joseph. Again, we see a call to action over the prophecies which are pronounced. They are to seek God and not evil. This is coupled with the previous statement, to seek God, seek truth, and in this way they can live. If the judgment of God is coming, then the response for the godly during this time should be to seek God and to seek doing good. If they do, then they can be sure that God is truly with them, something that they all have all too often presumed rather than known. So again, the call is to hate evil, to love good. How is it that they are to do this? By establishing justice in their society. The courts must be fair and must enact true justice. They are to turn from what we have seen said already and turn toward God and toward his goodness. For them to do this will likely lead to their covenant God, the God of armies, being gracious. But we also notice that it is not all the people whom he will be gracious, but to the remnant of Joseph. Thus the judgments against the people are sure, and those who are faithful must remain faithful during the time of judgment. Verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning, and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. The lamentation concludes with a call to mourning. The Lord himself says that there will be so much wailing that takes place. There will be sorrow to occur. Not only will the cities experience the sorrow, but even the farmers in the countryside will be affected by the judgment of God. And the reason for this is that there won't be enough professional whalers for the devastation. And this is a side note. There were those who were paid to mourn with others. And as such, in this destruction, there won't be enough of them. Hence the calling for the farmers to mourn also. Ultimately, as was just said, the destruction will not only be on the cities, but even on the countryside. For their vineyards will have wailing also. God's judgment on the people will come to pass. He will pass through their midst. And while this normally meant to be a good thing, in the end it is the worst outcome. For God is not coming in love, but judgment against the people for their sins and transgressions. The God of armies will send an army the Assyrians, to fulfill all these prophecies against the people of Israel, and the, dev- and the devastation will be great. Now, the main point. The main point of this passage is to lament over what has happened and what will happen with Israel. 
Because of her sinning, she will be cut off despite so much potential in the world. Yet there is hope that a remnant will remain in order for salvation to remain secured. And this remnant is called to be faithful and obedient to God by seeking him and his goodness rather than evil. So, applications. First one. In Amos, we continue to see God's sovereignty and his judgments against people for their transgressions. In today's text, we saw a great deal of this, especially since the people are basically guaranteed judgment for their transgressions. In this, Amos preaches for them to turn away from their sins, but he also recognizes the majority of them simply will not do so. What is the result of those who continue in their sins and transgressions? Judgment. That is a simple reality. Judgment is going to occur, is going to happen on the people for their gross atrocities against God and against their fellow human beings. Again, this is where our own societies and communities would do well to listen. God will judge any nation which acts in injustice and unrighteousness. Yet nations are made up of individuals. Thus, it will be individuals who face judgment as well. Sometimes it can be easy for us to forget the reality of judgment. Sometimes we can reflect so deeply on the love of God that we neglect to remember that God is love. He must also have hatred. If God loves righteousness, he must hate unrighteousness. If God loves justice, he must hate injustice. Because of this, it is no surprise that when the innocent are beaten down and forgotten, God will deal with the guilty in a harsh manner. Such is the case we see today in Amos. There will be great wailing when Israel is defeated, and there was great wailing when Israel as a nation was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Such will be the wailing of those who come under the judgment of God. We cannot sugarcoat the reality of judgment. Judgment is not something anyone wants to face. Even Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane pleaded for another way rather than the judgment of God. Yet it was judgment which he faced because it was the will of his Father. Amos knows as well as God that judgment can be avoided if the people simply repented. The problem is, they do not, and they will not. As such, the people will experience the judgment for their transgressions. Like Amos, then, we too need to warn our societies, warn them of judgment, encouraging them to repentance. Amos does not believe that they will turn from judgment, but that does not stop him from preaching repentance and knowing that there will be some, some, who repent and remain faithful. Even if we have a hard time believing people around us will change, we still need to continue to call to them, while it, at the same time being like Amos to warn them of the coming judgment for those who remain in unrepentance. This may sound harsh to our ears, and it will sound harsh to the ears of the world, but if the world and its inhabitants are going to judgment, we should be pleading with all to turn away from judgment. Our prophetic voice is a dire one at times, but it does not come without love. For love is our chief motivation in spreading the message of the gospel of Jesus, which calls us to repentance and faith, love for God, and love for our fellow man. 
knowing that if God can save us, he can save anyone. So like Amos, lament over the darkness of the world, and lament over the destruction which will befall it. Like Amos, be strong and courageous to confront evil, and be strong and courageous to proclaim the prophetic message we, instruct, we are instructed to proclaim, which is a warning declared in love. The world may hate us for the truth of the gospel, and it may reject us, but we must remain diligent in our own faithfulness. For our God is worthy of our faith, and worthy to have his gospel proclaimed to the nation. This gospel of righteousness, of justice, of wrath, but also of love. Now this leads to the second point. In today's text, Amos calls for the people of Israel to seek, or at least the remnant to seek. This is both used negatively and positively. That is, they are not to seek some things, and they are to seek other things. Likewise, Amos says that they are to hate some things and love things as well. So logically, we see a dichotomy play out in the above verses. The question we may be wondering is, what is it that the people are warned not to seek, and what are they encouraged to seek? And does that have any repercussions for us today? Should we too seek what they were to seek, and refrain from seeking what they were to refrain from seeking? I think the answer we will find is yes. Consider the first aspect of seeking in verse 4. God tells the people to seek me and live. Followed immediately with a warning in verse 5 to not seek Bethel. So what does it mean to seek God? We find that out further in the verses. That the people are to seek righteousness. To seek the law and obedience and faithfulness. To seek to worship God in truth. The antonym, the opposite of these things is to seek God in untruth. To seek unrighteousness and to worship God in a way which is unpleasing to him. We see this happened, um, we see this when they are warned not to seek Bethel. Bethel, as we remember, was a place of false worship because it was a false religious sanctuary set up by Jeroboam and was set up in a place of worship in opposition to Jerusalem. For them to seek Bethel rather than Jerusalem was to seek a worship practice contrary to that which God desired. And in this way it made them unlawful, made them sin, and made them unrighteous. While we do not have a centralized location for worship, Consider what we read last week when Jesus had the encounter with the Samaritan woman. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship that which you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. We are to worship God in spirit and in truth. In spirit implies with our beings, with that which makes us who we are. Likewise, we are to worship Him in truth, not with false pretenses, nor in ways which are displeasing to God. In this way, we too can learn to seek God and not Bethel. Yet there is another warning in verse 6 of this chapter of Amos which is tied to all of us. And that is when Amos says, seek the Lord and live. By seeking God, we will not experience the judgment of God. By seeking God, it means to follow after him. 
But we cannot only let this mean in obedience to lifestyle, but again, reflecting with our being. God wants all of us. He certainly wants us to seek Him with our lifestyles, but also with our minds, our hearts, all of who we are. The next grouping of seeking statements is found in verses 14 and 15. There we are told to seek good and not evil, and further to love good and hate evil. This is interesting. For what is defined as good? One can understand that the opposite of good would be unrighteousness in society. The Israelites in verse four, verses above, verse 14, were critiqued for their opposition to justice. So we can be sure that justice is certainly involved with seeking good. How would that play out? It would play out with us not harming the poor among us. It would look like Christians living as Christians and giving all things over to Christ, whether it be our views on politics, business, culture, art, all things. We are to seek good in our lives and to seek good in society, to do good rather than evil. If we seek God, then we know what good is because God himself is good. And the converse of God is evil. It would be no surprise then that if we do seek good, then we will live and God will be with us. Yet the opposite must be true, that if we seek evil, then we will die and God will not be with us. When it comes to our congregations, this is a must. It cannot be that we either individually or corporately would condone evil or act ourselves in evil. If we do, then we fail not only to honor our God, but we also fail to worship our God in spirit and truth. In fact, the warning is that if we become like the Israelites of old, then we too will think we are worshiping God when we are really mocking Him instead. As believers in Christ... This has ramifications not only for us in the church or for our individual lives, but also for the broader societies in which we live. Thankfully, we live in a place where we have freedoms. As such, this allows us to live in our faith and to express opinions in the social world about our faith and the world in which we live. This is another reason why we cannot fail in this area. When we as a people condone evil, promote evil, unrighteousness, injustice, then our witness to the world ceases to exist. We are called to live in faithfulness to Christ in all things with all of our lives. When we are faithful to Christ, we become salt and light in the world around us. And this world, since the fall of man, has been in desperate need of those who are faithful to God and to be faithful to God in all things. Our societies at large will likely remain in its sin. They will contort the truth and spread lies. If we then fall prey to the lies and to their contortions of the truth, then when and where will the world look for truth that is not distorted? We have a responsibility. And we must maintain that responsibility by seeking God, seeking good, loving God, and loving good. In this way, the converse is true too. We should be the first to not seek evil and to hate evil. We should be the first to say to our societies what evil is, to designate what is immoral, 
unrighteous, and what is unjust. We should be the first to stand and say no when all the world is willing to say yes to evil. So the question come back to us. Have we learned what the ancients were to seek? Yes. Is it applicable to us? Yes. For just as they were to seek these things in their individual lives and in their communities and societies as a whole, so we should as well. Seek God. Seek justice. Seek that which is good. Love God. Love justice. And love that which is good. There's a desperation in this world for faithfulness. So let us be examples, standing firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ and trusting in the God of promise that those who seek him will find him and those who love him and his goodness will be with him and live. Ultimately, this all reminds us of the gospel. For through the gospel, it allows us to not only seek God, but to find him as well. It is through the gospel that we learn of justice, of goodness, and through it we are able to seek justice and goodness. Whereas once we loved evil and hated God, through the gospel we are able to hate evil, cling to what is good, and love our God. For through this gospel our judgment has passed over us, and the righteousness and love of God has been made plain before us through his Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel begins with our origins. God created all things by the power of his word. He is the first cause of all things. He is the only one without a cause, because he has no beginning. For he always was and always is and always will be. All of the cosmos, however, does have a beginning, and because of that, a cause, which is God. Last of all the cosmos to be created was humanity, whom God made in his image. Because God is a God of love, reason knows, can be known, has personhood, trusts within himself, and shows hesed, we can as well. It is here we find dignity, worth, and sanctity to all human life. But like God, we are able to choose. We could either choose to follow God in obedience and into life, or choose to follow sin and disobedience into death. We chose the latter and have continued to make that choice ever since. And because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world, they're all broken. We continue to accrue a greater moral guilt before our God every day. And because of that, we are worthy of condemnation and judgment. God did not leave us in our sorrow without hope forever, though. Instead, he sent his light and gave us his word in our darkness, and that is Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is by him we are justified before our holy and righteous God. It is through his blood we are cleansed from our sin. It is his victory that we find our own victory in life and over death. All that is required of us is obedience in two things. The first is repentance from sin. We are to turn away from sin and turn toward God. We are to live lifestyles that are congruent with the scriptures, with Christ as revealed by the scriptures, in step with the Holy Spirit. 
We are to seek to live for the glory of God above all. And in this way, we bear witness to the power of God in us for our salvation by how we live in love. The second is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not what we do which saves us from our sins. It is what Christ has done. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone, we are saved. For those who remain in disobedience, there is only condemnation. None can stand before God with their deeds in hand, for even their best deeds are as filthy rags before our holy and righteous God. Therefore, to stand before God without any atonement for sin is to stand in judgment for the moral guilt of sin, which we all have apart from Christ. For those who are obedient, however, there is no longer condemnation. Instead, they receive the love reserved for the Son of God. They enter into the joy of knowing God as their Father in heaven. They are able to have victory over sin in this life and victory over death in the next. Not because of what they do, but because of what Christ has done. In the end, they become co-heirs of eternal kingdom of peace with their God forever. In all of this, in all of this, we must remember the prophetic voice which you have when we have and when we share the gospel. Remember the justice of the gospel and the righteousness. Remember the judgment and remember that God has called us to something great, which is to seek and love him and his goodness with all of our lives. In this, give all to him and know that those who seek him have life now and forevermore. Amen. Let us go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are able to seek you because that means that you're there. It means that you are not only out of our grasp, but it means that you're reaching down a hand to us that we can grasp. And so, Lord, we ask you for your help. We ask that you would give us strength during these dark and evil times such as the Israelites faced. We ask that you would give us wisdom, that you would continue to show us justice and righteousness, that you would continue to show us love through your Son, Jesus Christ. For Lord, we know that this world is a dark world, but we also know that you are the light of the world. So Lord, let us bear the light and give us all we need to be faithful. For Lord, you are worthy of our trust and you are worthy of all of our faith now and forevermore. And it's in your Son, the light of the world, that we pray. Amen. Please rise as we